Welcome to this week's episode of Every Damn Day. I'll be joined in a second by Kevin Broccoli, where we will discuss the most important story of the week, which is the fact that Lady Gaga's dogs got kidnapped. What do you think about that, Kev? I mean, I'm, I think that this is a great opportunity for Brett, Davey, and I to finally take that road trip and solve a crime. Um, <laughs> I think my favorite is somebody pointed out that in the headline, it said the way that it was phrased, it was, Lady Gaga offers $500,000 for return of dogs, comma, dog walker shot. And it sounded, and people were like, wait, did she shoot the dog walker? Who, like, <laughs> oh my God. And I thought, you know, the, the, the fact that the guy got shot, I, and, and I, my favorite online quote unquote news source is the Daily Mail out of England. Oh, yeah. The and, uh, and so today they revealed it said home surveillance cameras caught the moment he was attacked. And they, they said that, you know, they were going to reveal what he said when he was attacked you know what he said i was shot he said (laughs) no he said no exclamation point and then said help exclamation point oh really so they said like i've been shot well i don't know those are the that's i i trust the daily mail i'm sorry more than a you know hot librarian out of johnston Uh, all right no offense you trust you trust the daily mail which is basically (laughs) the national Enquirer. more it's the best okay it's the best it's so great but yeah that's it's terrible it's a terrible story i mean i I hope that they find the dog like i'm like were they scoping her out like what what happened like you know is this all a ransom plot i just i mean let me tell you something when it comes to dogs i'll i turn into liam neeson from taken like i will find you (laughs) i will destroy you i'll destroy everything you ever loved you don't you hurt that dog let me tell you you want you want to kidnap one of my family members that's one thing because depending on who you pick, it, you might be in for it. But well, I just my thing is this that there, so there were three French bulldogs, Gustav, Koji and Miss Asia. And uh, the hero appears to have been Miss Asia, who escaped <laughs> and then returned to the poor bastard who got shot. And he was found clinging to her covered in blood when the cops. Oh, my God. Uh, but this is like very highly dramatic. Now, people in law enforcement say it's a bad idea to say I'm going to give $500,000 no question asked for the return of the dog return of the dogs and it, that it could lead to uh, a whole new market for criminals which is kidnapping celebrity dogs. I mean I, yeah, I ugh, it's 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 yeah. I mean it's terrible like I ooh, I mean imagine that being a market, my god. Yikes. The thing that amazes me and 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 you know, we've talked before, the comment section of any place is always the lowest pit of hell. Yeah. But, you know, there was a story about it somewhere on on f- Facebook and people were chiming in and they were just like slamming Lady Gaga, this no questions asked reward. And I'm like $500,000 to Lady Gaga is like $40 to us. Like, well, no, but no what they money. were no, what they were saying is like it seemed insensitive to be like no questions asked as if somebody didn't get shot in the middle of all this. You know what I mean? Like if it was just that they took the dogs, then saying, you know, 500,000, no questions asked wouldn't I don't think would have been an issue. But it's the fact that like whoever did this shot somebody. So I like, also like so what the, what was their objection, though? Should there have been like should they have one question they should have asked? Like, all right. N- not no questions asked, but one question that you get to ask the kidnappers. They're not going to sit there and listen to questions. They're dog nappers, Kev. So, all right, I'm going to fire up the van. I'm going to come pick you up and we're going to go solve this mystery and we're going to split the $500,000. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't understand. To me, it's always like, do people still kidnap with the intent of getting a ransom? Because in my mind, it's like, 
how confident are you that they're not going to be able to figure out who you are once you have that money or you, I don't know, you know you what I mean? A, I don't know how you get away with it. I, I really, I really don't. don't. Yeah. Like I, like I, to me, it just seems like it doesn't seem like something where you could actually make money off it. Yeah. I don't really know. So speaking of getting away with it, the, the world's, <laughs> the world's greatest villains will be assembling uh, at the uh, annual CPAC. It's already underway. In a I think. World. It's already underway. Ted Cruz was in the news today because of the this conservative political action committee gathering where he made a joke. Did you see the joke that Ted Cruz? Oh, yeah. He was like, oh, it's lovely here in Orlando. Not as nice as it is in Cancun. Yuck, yuck, yuck. Um, (laughs) Ted Cruz is the worst. But I thought that joke was kind of funny. to be honest. No, you know, I'll give him credit for this. It really is something to be like, I am such an evil villain with job security that I can crack any fucking joke I want. In some ways it's brilliant, right? Because it's exactly what Donald Trump did. Like it's it's brilliant. That's that's what that's what Donald Trump did. He would take any bad news story and and just bathe in it. He would just bathe himself in it and be like isn't this hysterical? Isn't this amazing? And you know, they got a laugh in the room and uh so you know, I think it's so interesting the big story that came out of one of the big stories that came out of CPAC was so they had that golden calf of of Ugh. of President Trump rolling down the aisle. And um, they rolled it in and then I guess they all had sex on it. I don't know what they did with it. Maybe they, <laughs> I don't know if, I don't know if like Jody Ernst, like, you know, hopped on top of it, but whatever happened there. So, but what oh, I think interesting boy. is that Mitch McConnell, uh, it came out, said that he would absolutely support Donald Trump if he runs again in 2024. Okay. Um, I'm not saying I'm not worried about Donald Trump running again in 2024, but forget about his, his age and everything else. Um, but the whole point of CPAC is like it's it's where you go to sort of announce your intention to run for president right it's it's, so the fact that like you know ted cruz showed up it indicates that like there's a lot of people who very much would like to run for president in 2024 and so this idea that if donald trump decides he wants to run remember he's not an incumbent he he does not he's not really entitled and even as an incumbent, you're not entitled, but he's not entitled to run unopposed. You know, there would still be a primary. And so there's a little part of me that's like, "Ooh, please let him run. Because he, I fully believe that no matter what happens, Ted Cruz is going to run again. I, I fully expect everyone who's planning to run now to run, whether or not Donald Trump. So it's this weird, interesting thing where they all have to sort of cater to Trumpism but be prepared to run against the person the movement is named after, which I I'm find interested very in funny. that because I don't agree with you that if he runs, all these other people are going to run. I, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I just don't see it happen. One, I want to say there's a place in East Greenwich on main street called, I think it's called like con K O N Asian grill. And they have a giant golden Buddha in there. And it looks a lot like the Trump statue yeah. that they've been wheeling around at CPAC. Also, so, of course, since I do the most intensive research imaginable, the person that's speaking at CPAC after Donald Trump Jr. is a guy who is he's he's now head of the Japanese conservative union. But he was the former political leader of a Japanese cult called Happy Science. <laughs> and the guy's name is Jay Aiba. He's speaking today on Friday. And his guru um, claims to be a Venusian god who created life on Earth. And I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff there. Um, and, and in 2016, this guy, he managed to obtain an exclusive interview with what he said was the guardian spirit of Donald Trump. So this guy is speaking at CPAC after... 
Donald Trump Jr. being given a very prominent role. And I'm like, are these people all just fucking bananas or what? Oh, yeah. And I, and I think more than ever, it has become the all we're here to do is make liberals angry convention. You know that when I saw them rolling that gold statue and I saw all these people being like, don't they know about the Bible? Of course they know about the Bible. Of course they know about the Ten Commandments. Of course they do. Their entire purpose in life is to irritate us. It's, uh, they live for it. It's, it's all they're about. It's all they live for. Anything that, and the honest to God, the best thing we could do as we talk about them on this podcast is really just ignore them. You know, I fear Marjorie Taylor Greene so much, not because of who she is, but of how much oxygen we're giving her. I mean, the amount of press she gets still, even after having been removed from all the committees, it's like, and it's because, you know, and I say this all the time, because I'm still a very loyal Rachel Maddow watcher. You know, it just hasn't been the same since Trump's gone. It just has not been the same. The, the big bad, I feel like I'm living in a movie where we vanquish the villain, but the movie's still going. It's like, it, it's just not as exciting. It's not, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to have somewhere to put all of your anger and frustration and energy. Um, but that is well, also how those people come to power. And so it's very concerning to me that, that liberals, both sides do this, but that liberals will you know, channel all their outrage and in doing so amplify the thing that needs that needs to be starved for attention. Well, I think that's a good point, because the Ted Cruz's of the world and the Josh Hawley's who are trying to become the next Trump and Marco Rubio, they're not. They're basically politicians first. People who have been politicians for decades. She I agree that she is scary because she's more of a celebrity than anything else. She's not a politician. She's a a celebrity who's basically willing to do anything offensive to appeal to people on her side and to irritate liberals. So I agree that in that way, I think that and, you know, someone even like Ted, that is, is even more t- likely to be the heir apparent down the road. Yeah. And even Ted Cruz cracking that joke about Cancun, you have to understand something, you know, the idea that like, can you believe he? Oh, of course I can believe he'd make that joke because he's vert. He's signaling to every person like him and to all these rich Republicans you think any one of them wouldn't have gotten on a plane and gone to Cancun? He did exactly what they would have done. So why would they think there'd be anything wrong with it? Why would they get upset about it? It's exactly what they would have done. And that's all he's doing. He's signaling to them saying, I'm one of you, you know? Right. right. Um, so, so, but anyway. So, so uh, speaking of upsetting, so you've been writing um, a bit about the uh, Woody Allen, Mia Farrow situation that was prompted by you know, the... Every the series time, on yeah. HBO Max. I-, I loved your take on it. I read it the other day. And uh, and because I was like you, I was a dorky Woody Allen fan, you know, and I had the same bl- glasses just coincidentally. But <laughs> the fact that, you know, you always get the chicks and everything else. And he was just he's, you know, really wormy looking and everything else. And then, you know, once all this stuff went down with his uh, former stepdaughter, you know, marrying her, having an affair. Like I couldn't watch his movies anymore. And then, you know, went from bad to worse when his uh, other former, I mean, the whole situation is just bizarre anyway. But anyway, so what's your take on it? You had a good well, take that I enjoyed. It's just, it just feels like every three years we need to remind people that Woody Allen's a fucking monster, you know? And every time you do some old straight guy who also would love to bone their, their partner's stepdaughter, whatever the fuck it was, um, likes to come around and say, well, technically, technically he didn't commit a crime. Technically, it's not illegal. Technically, you can date a woman and then marry her daughter. And really, technically, legally, you didn't do anything wrong. You know, and ironically, it's never like conservatives making this argument. It's guys who consider themselves to be very liberal 
and they're you know they're, they're usually gross and slovenly and sometimes and just generally unappealing and so woody allen is their god you know he's their god because right. because he figured out what every predator that's ever been born has been able to figure out which is all i need to do is either be super attractive or really really clever and learn how to write a good script i mean i it's funny i identify with him a lot i really do because when you are a kid and you and i mean this totally seriously when you're younger and you understand that, oh, I'm not really going to be, I'm not going to be, you know, Zac Efron. It's not going to happen. <laughs> and, but, but you know, but I'm being serious, but you know that you have a talent for something that you can write, you know, and especially with writing, because writing is, it's not the same as acting or figuring out, oh, I can direct, I can do this. Writing is very powerful because you are literally sculpting narratives. You are creating worlds. And if you can get people, a lot of people, to buy into what you've written, you can actually create new normals in people's minds. And so writers are, I mean, I, I'm, I really do mean this. Writers are the most dangerous people on earth, really. They really, really are if they want to be, because they have this ability to really set societal norms. And so it is not a coincidence that his one of his first works was a movie where he tried to normalize a 42-year-old man sleeping with a 17-year-old girl. Yeah, and I wonder if, if you went back and looked at that time, that snapshot in time, I wonder if any people, any of the critics or anyone else found that relationship objectionable. Because yeah, by the time weren't. I saw it, it was just sort of like, oh, this is accepted as kind of a work of art from if Woody you, Allen and the cinematography yeah. so beautiful and... If you go back and look, there was some pushback, but what happened was that the pushback against that got labeled as like conservatism. It was, oh, people were looking at this too conservatively. You know, um, I don't, we don't think he really meant, you know, one person tried to argue that, well, actually, you know, the movie was saying that like, he's the child and she's so much more mature than him. And so really it's, you know, her teaching it. It was all a bunch of bullshit. It was all a bunch of bullshit. At the end of the day, it's a movie about a 42 year old sleeping with a 17 year old. There's that comedian who, that I love. God, I forget their name, but they do this. They do this great bit on like, why do you think we had to create uh, like a legal age limit? for when, you know, someone is allowed to have sex as an adult. It's because, like, back in the 1700s, men were just screwing 13-year-olds and 12-year-olds. And yeah. finally, somebody had to be like, we got to knock this off. And, you know, and so in Hollywood in the 70s, how many guys had teenage girlfriends? Warren Beatty, you know, that's yeah, how Roman Polanski, you know, all this stuff. Yeah. And so, but these were the people dictating the culture. You right. know, they were dictating the culture. And I fully believe... I fully believe, and there are even jokes about it, you know, uh, I just watched that irresistible movie that Jon Stewart did, not a great movie, but in the movie he kind of jokes about the fact that he makes you think that, um, uh, 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 God, what is his name from The Office? Steve Carell. He makes you think that he's going to shack up with this like 22-year-old girl, and at the end of the movie he says, you know, I, I thought we had something, and she says, I'm like half your age, like where would, where, when would that happen? And he says, well, you know, New York and Los Angeles and parts of Dallas, <laughs> you know, but that's it. That's kind of, you know, the thing. And so it, I'm straying a lot from here, but it, it, it Woody Allen, I think, was one of the very first examples of uh, this, this example of somebody who makes Hollywood lots of money 
And so, yes, you can have a controversy, you can have a scandal, you can have whatever you want. And then Hollywood kind of just let, let, has you lay low for a year or two. But then if you keep coming back, and, and to me, it's such a great example of why we actually need what I call in the piece consequence culture, which is not a term I invented, but it's, it's what I prefer to call what other people call cancel culture, because this is what we had before we had cancel culture. Before we had cancel culture and everyone was like, oh, people get canceled for everything. What you had were men like Woody Allen sleeping with their girlfriend's daughters and it being okay. And the reason I say it being okay, in spite of the fact that, yes, it was on the cover of newspapers and, yes, people were calling him a creep and, yes, some people never watched his movies, there were no consequences for him. Right. There were no cons. He didn't face one damn consequence right. his whole life for any of it. And I think that if what we're saying is, well, you only face consequences if you do the illegal thing, that you can do the ethically disgusting thing as much as you want, as long as it never gets to the point of illegality. Do you think somebody like Woody Allen, who is a very smart man, do you think he doesn't understand the difference? Do you think it's a coincidence that he chose like to wait until that girl was legal before he doing, started doing stuff with her. I think he very much understands the difference between ethics and morality. And he was also smart enough to pivot the conversation to Mia Farrow. And so when I wrote the piece that I wrote this week, you know, you had people say, well, I heard Mia Farrow. I don't give a fuck about what Mia Farrow was doing. I could care less what Mia Farrow was doing. I don't care if she stuck every one of those kids in a fucking oven every day and turned it up <laughs> to high, because that's not the conversation right. we're having. And what people do is they go, well, yeah, but maybe we can change the subject to her and then come back. But you know what? You never go back. That's the point. That's why people try to get you to change the conversation. Yeah, a few things I'd like to say is one that it's interesting because <clears throat> when is the last time Woody Allen made a movie, though, that really made money? It's probably been 20 plus years. Right. I mean, but he's cranking out a movie a year. Oh, no, no, Brett. Not accurate. No, no. His biggest hit was Midnight in Paris, which was only, I think, six years ago. He scored an Amazon deal that was one of the biggest deals Amazon ever made. Um, I guess I'm thinking make, like, in ways of like, TV I'm thinking in the way if of you're like thinking traditional of, like, relevancy. Well, if you're thinking in terms of uh, Midnight in Paris, it was huge. One of his biggest hits. Um, you're right. Uh, Jeez, it made $154 million. I didn't yeah. realize that. Holy yeah. shit. I just Because here's the thing about his movies. His movies cost next to nothing. Right. And so even when they flop, they tend to turn a profit. Yeah, it costs $17 they... million. I mean, that's yeah. literally impossible. That's, that, was, that was 10 years ago. That's crazy, that's though. Still, the other yeah. thing is, you know, for someone like me, like when we first got cable TV and I was a kid, hold on, my dog is very excited Puppy. about this Woody Allen topic. Um, Puppy. When, when I was a kid and we, and we first got cable, um, the movie uh, Love and Death was on like uh, every day. Like, I don't know if you're if you saw that one with Diane. Oh, yeah. I love that movie. To me, it's one of the funniest movies ever made, but I could not watch it today if you paid me. Um, so, you know, that movie I saw a million times. Annie Hall, obviously, I saw a million times. And, you know, but you have to disconnect. It's like I can't watch them now. Like, it's just the whole thing. But, you is know, just the hard so part awful. about disconnecting and it, and it leads into this story about the art from the artist and all that stuff. The hard part for me with watching Annie Hall now would not be about forgetting what he did in real life. That would be easy for me. I wouldn't have a hard time doing that. The hard part for me watching Annie Hall is that it's completely unbelievable because he is not going to get those fucking women. Let's be honest. In, a, in the real world, if you looked like Woody Allen and you're just a normal guy, you are not getting Diane Keaton at her peak. 
you are not, let alone, I mean, if you go back and watch that movie, he's got like six hot girlfriends all throughout the movie. The man never once cast himself opposite a normal looking woman. He was always casting himself opposite very glamorous, very interesting, fascinating, wonderful women. And one of the topics we're going to cover later on is the Frasier reboot, right? Like, it's just the, the, the thing that makes it hard to suspend disbelief is that we all live in the real world where if you look like these slovenly pig piles, you are not getting <laughs> Diane Keaton, you, you narcissist. It's not going to happen. I'm starting, a band. Not I'm starting happen. a band, by the way, called Slovenly uh, Pig Piles. Yeah, it's just, it's just ridiculous. I mean, and listen, hey, look, I'll take the heat. I've done it, baby. I've done it. Like, I've had the opportunity to cast myself in parts and then cast my opposite. Do you think I was going to cast someone I didn't think was cute? No, I'm not a moron. Like, so, like, there's just nobody given that opportunity would do that, you know? And that's why it's, you always have to have somebody else who has some modicum of power in the situation. Because, like, given the opportunity, I mean, literally, given the opportunity, if somebody was like, Oh, Brett, who would you like uh, to star with you? And, you know, you can have like Olivia Wilde or um, Jennifer Lawrence or, you know, we can have Ann Dowd. Would you like Ann Dowd? You know, it's just, you're, of course, you're going to You're like, no, I w- I'd rather have these two. You know, that's just normal. It doesn't, it, you know, but the problem is like he just orchestrated what he did was orchestrated all that. If you go back and watch Annie Hall, you watch any of his movies, not once does anyone ever question how he, looking the way he looks and acting the way he acts, because let's remember his characters were also not great people. It wasn't like the premise was he looks that way. Oh, but he's actually a sweetheart. Not once does anyone ever talk to him as if he is anything but the most gorgeous, charming, amazing man on earth. Well, that is every movie he's ever been. Then to wrap this up, I will paraphrase uh, Woody Allen. I think uh, a relationship with an artist is like a shark. It has to constantly keep moving forward or it dies. And I think (laughs) what we have on our hands is a dead shark. So, Um, all right. So you wanted to talk about the serious strike, which sounds like a, a, x-rated movie um so oh, go ahead uh, kevin i'm ready for brett davy brett davy's coming down the list <laughs> well no it's not even so much about the strike in syria it's about you know oh god it's i like i waffle back and forth between like liberal progressive liberal progressive all these progressives today so biden did a strike in syria and the the everyone's losing their mind where's my two thousand dollar stimulus how come he can do a strike in syria but he can't do a two thousand dollar stimulus okay here's why Because though it wouldn't be impossible for him to executive action a stimulus, it would be highly, 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 highly unconventional. Congress really has to do that. He can do military strikes. I'm not saying I like military strikes. I'm not saying I think they're a great idea. I don't know nearly anything enough about this to really be too educated on it. But what I will say is I understand enough to know that those two things are not equal putting through a stimulus and a military strike are not the same thing. One is legislation. Another is something that you can do if you are the commander in chief, which he is. So it's just really, I can't stand there's it. Always, it's it's there's all this false, false parallel though, though. So it's yeah. if you're, if you're doing something uh, that seems minor, they're like, oh, we can do that, but not do this. And that, to, I, I agree. That's a total pet peeve of mine. It's also kind of like, you have to do a thousand different things at once if you're president. So, you know, you're not just doing one thing. And what's he supposed to do? Just sit there and wait for the, the stimulus yeah. to go through? Like, there's other stuff to do. Again, I, I don't and know. And he did other stuff. Either, you know? but... it's, I, I mean, like, I would love it. Like, 
you know, there was a lot to get done. There's still a lot to get done. 50 million people are now back, or sorry, 50 million people over the age of 65 are now back, or 50, let me get this right. Over 50% of people over the age of 65 in this country are now vaccinated. Until before January, it was 8%. Okay, so we've gone from 8 to over 50%. Over 50 million vaccines have been given out. We're back in the Paris Climate Accord. Stuff is happening. I have no problem with people criticizing Joe Biden, criticize Joe Biden all the live long day. But you trying to, you putting those two things together of we can't even have a stimulus, but he's doing airstrikes in, you know, Syria. It makes you sound like a greedy ass dumb fuck. How about that? (laughs) On Twitter, who like has 140 characters to give yourself a hot take. Literally take a shower and have a seat. Most of you look disgusting because you haven't left your mom's basement in a while. Just truly, truly get over yourselves. Wow. Well, I'll tell you the thing now, over the last week, so Fox is obviously, Fox News is trying to distract from anything related to the riots that happened at the Capitol. Um, and they don't, they're not really talking much about the stimulus because it's really popular even with Republicans. So yeah. they're, finding, they're finding things to get outraged about that are not worth getting outraged about and literally spending hours of airtime. Sean Hannity, Tucker Carlson, Laura Ingram. This is what they're talking about. So the last couple of days, they've been talking about the rebranding of Mr. Potato Head as gender neutral. (laughs) And they're spending literally hours and hours talking about this. So I had to um, I had to delve deeply into this. I am a Pawtucket native, the home of Hasbro. So I felt like I had to go in and defend Hasbro on this. So. Mr. Potato Head and Mrs. Potato Head, because I know you're dying to know, Kevin, will still exist. They will still be out there. But there is also a Create Your Potato Head Family kit that includes two non-gendered adult potatoes, one (laughs) baby potato, and 42 accessories. I don't know if those are sexual parts or what those accessories are, but, but Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head are still alive. But I don't want to say, can you believe that there's all this fake outrage being generated by not just like fringe commentators, but literally on the most popular conservative network out there by their most popular commentators. Um, I don't want to say, can you believe it? But it's just to me, it's like incredibly depressing that people are, are talking about this and that people that are watching the show are buying it and saying, Oh, cancel culture hit strikes again. I know. Well, yeah, I mean, when I first saw it and, you know, normally I'm like willing to engage a little bit, but I was like, they're potatoes. You know that potatoes don't have gender, right? Like it's it's, it's just, it's so silly. Like, but this is the thing, the same way that I just said, look, I don't know enough about Syria to really have a hot take on it. Nobody does. You know, nobody knows enough. You'd have to read God knows how much to have an informed take. And so when stuff like this comes along, I think people just get excited because they're like, oh, something I can have an opinion on that really requires virtually no homework. And so that's why they kind of go crazy. It's why Fox News is so excited because, you know, it appeals to their viewers. Their viewers love fucking potatoes. And so (laughs) the idea that you would take away that pretty little hat from Mrs. Potato Head means they won't have anything to jerk off to for a while. Wait, are you talking about that they love the, like, the the potato or they are making love to a potato? I'm I'm saying saying that they, Tucker Carlson goes home every night to his giant life-size Mrs. Potato Head 
And he has a grand old time taking off the nose, doing stuff where the nose used to be, putting the nose back and calling wow, it a that day. is hot. That's all I'm saying. I just, you know what I don't I, understand? I don't understand people's fake attachment to things. So, for instance, like when Aunt Jemima changed the logo and, you know, moved away from the Mammy image. And you would read yeah. people's comments that they were like, this was a part of my childhood. And. Like, really? Like, what, when you were staring, eating friggin' Legos and looking at the, the, the syrup bottle, you created some kind of, like, unnatural relationship with Aunt Jemima? Like, I'll just never understand why people will, they'll talk about, but it was, like, such a big part of my childhood. I like when they say, I like when they try to defend it by being like, well, it was a different time, and it's like, yes, it was a different <laughs> time, and now it's today. It's also so a different should- time. So now we're in a different time. So we're going to respond differently. Nobody's saying to go back and cancel the maple syrup industry. We're just saying like, we're going to put a different picture on it. That's all. Like it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's fake outrage. Like I said, the, the Fox news essentially for all intents and purposes has a Republican in the, or they have a moderate in the white house. So they truly, you know, the, the liberal news media doesn't know what to do because they lost their big bad. Fox News doesn't know what to do because Joe Biden just did an airstrike in Syria, which if that had been President Trump, you know, Sean Hannity would have been humping the desk. He would have been so excited. And so everybody's just kind of in a tizzy, you know, so let's talk about the potatoes. So why? So what is so you wanted to also talk about the Frasier reboot. And so what was your take on that? Um, well, similar to Woody Allen thing, it was just like. The only way I would watch a Frasier, first of all, if you ever go back and watch old episodes of Frasier, it does not hold up. Um, what, what is it? it what is it about up. it that doesn't work? So Niles is allegedly straight, which <laughs> I mean, I, I, yeah, 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 and it wasn't even that long ago. It's like, oh my god, um, Niles is allegedly straight. Frasier can apparently get any woman that he wants. Um, He's a host at a radio station who lives in what has to be. I mean, people talk about how Monica and Rachel on Friends could never afford their apartment. Frazier has a penthouse that should be reserved for billionaires. Like, it's the most just unbelievable, like, you know, house. Um, Never sees his kid. I think the son would do a guest spot like once every three years. Uh, And like, it's just it doesn't, you know, and all the humor is very like it's all like one percent humor. And the joke is like, oh, look at these snobs. <laughs> but, you know, the thing that bothers me, like I go back to him with Woody Allen, is like the man was treated on that show like he was God's gift, you know. And Kelsey Grammer is, excuse me, but not, not that. Um, it's also just sad because, you know, Kelsey Grammer, he did Frasier on Cheers. Um, he holds a lot of records because he played Frasier like once on Wings. He did it on Cheers and then he got his own show, won a ton of Emmys. And uh, he is tied for the record for, like, uh, playing a character for the longest amount of time. And then he went and tried to do literally everything else. He was on dramas. He was on other sitcoms. And everything failed. Now, here's the argument I'm going to make to you, Brett. I don't know how talented I would argue someone is as an actor if they're only able to play a character that I'm pretty confident is not that far off from who they are in everyday life. Um, because everything he did after that was just a miserable, miserable failure. And so now he's back wanting to play Frasier again. It's just very sad. It's just, to me, it's, it's very sad. It's going to be on the Paramount Streaming Plus network, which means nobody's going to watch it. Um, you know, they're, they're just scraping the dregs. 
Uh, and it's funny because I think one way that I would love to see it come back, somebody posted this on Twitter and I think it would be brilliant, is what if they did Frasier where somebody actually called out all the bullshit on Frasier? So like they bring everybody back, but they're like, you know, what are you talking about? Niles is gay. Frasier is hideous. You all are snobs. Like that would be worth watching. That would be kind of interesting. <laughs> You know, you know, like that would be really good. So I didn't really watch Frasier when I was younger, um, except on Cheers. So I do want to just quickly, though, talk about it. Maybe this can be our last topic since we don't have anything for Saturday reboot. So I finally watched Cobra Kai um, and I, I, Ooh, I watched okay. it with my youngest son and we just finished the third season. So um, I, I want to just talk for five minutes about Cobra Kai. So you saw it. You saw it when it first came out and probably binge the whole thing i just finished it so what give me your overall take on that show oh i love it it's one of my i mean i watched it when it was on youtube red i was very hipster so what was it. on youtube red the first season the first two seasons oh, wow. so you so youtube red was going to be like you know the new whatever and so the first acquisition that they made was cobra kai and it was super popular but then they couldn't really get anything else off the ground and so then they had already filmed season three and uh, the producers begged them. They were, and they decided, you know, we're we're going to cancel you um, because we're basically just canceling YouTube Red in general. But they were like, okay, well, could you not air season three because we already filmed it? It's all done. But like, we want to shop it around because people are going to want to buy the show. Netflix bought the show, and that's when obviously now it's much more popular than it was. But I mean, I remember you know, having to hook up my TV and go to the YouTube app on the TV because I wanted to watch it on the TV. And yeah, I, I love it. I just think you know it's... What's, you, I, you know I, what's funny though? Like, so when, when Karate Kid came out, everyone loved it. I remember loving it and I would still watch it when it aired again. And, uh, but you know, I was like, okay, it was like 20 other movies from the 80s. I wonder what it is. What is it that makes it work so well 30 years later? Firstly, I guess, it, you know, Johnny Lawrence and... And Ralph Macchio, I mean, and, and Daniel LaRussa both still kind of look good. Obviously, Ralph Macchio has the little hair uh, system that he had inserted. But for the most part, they still look pretty good. So they don't look completely decrepit. Um, so I don't, why, why do you think this works so well as a reboot where most things from that era might not? You know, I've been thinking about that. And I, I, I think... I do think it has something to do with the two of them. I think they have great chemistry. I think it's always really interesting where, where, when you have a show where the leads have great chemistry that isn't romantic chemistry, where it's just that the two of them together play off each other really well. I think inverting the premise so that the first season was really about Daniel being kind of a jerk and um, Johnny being the hero, I thought was really good. I think the kids are surprisingly good actors. You know, they're not, they, first of all, they look like kids. Um, whereas, you know, a lot on like CW shows, you feel like you're watching a bunch of 40 year olds with backpacks. Um, like these kids are actual kids and they're really, I think for the most part, they're really good actors. I think the biggest thing is that it is so plot heavy. I mean, this show just the amount of story that they can squeeze into like, you know, a handful of episodes is wild. And it also is it's totally comfortable with the nostalgia. It's totally comfortable kind of calling back to older stuff. It kind of exists in this weird world where like it's modern, but it's it has the feeling of an 80s movie. So as you're watching it, you I don't know if you feel this way, but like as you're watching it 
you feel like you're watching something from like the 80s and the 90s, even though it's set in like the modern day. I just feel like, you know, it was my, I was watching it with my son. And, and firstly, if they hadn't injected the kids into it, um, you know, it would have been one season. You know what I mean? It's just about yeah. them kind of rehashing the past. But the fact that they injected those kids and the kids were so good. And as I watched it with my son, I was telling him, I'm like, 90% of the plot is just like a misunderstanding. You know what I mean? Like if, yeah. if uh, Daniel had known what was going on with Johnny, then that wouldn't have happened. And if this girl knew about what was happening with that guy, when she walked in at that minute, you know what I mean? So it's like, it's like 90% misunderstanding and 10% like actual beef. The fact that the guy who plays crease still looks like crease <laughs> and he's in his like mid seventies. But don't you find it amazing that like, what are the odds that, this guy who played Johnny William Zafkin, like what are the odds that he would have been a good actor? Do you know what so I mean? Good. He's like, so good. It's like, amazing. Like what are the, like he has to carry the show and he is so good. And crease is so good. And I'm like, none of these people needed to be this good. They were, you know, playing these roles and they are so comfortable and so at ease in these roles, taking them further I mean, like, it's, it's insane. It has no, there, I think there, Ralph, Mac, uh, Ralph Macchio talks about this. He goes, look, the bar was so low. Like, they announced the show. People were like, that sounds like it's going to be awful. He's like, everybody <laughs> thought we were going to have the most terrible show. He's like, and we were relieved because we were like, okay, great. So now whatever we do, it's probably not going to be as bad as everyone thinks it but is. But to your point and, earlier but, about the power of a, a good writer, that whole show is about the, the writing. If, if the writing sucked, it would have been a one-off. It would have been a Super Bowl commercial, basically. And, you know, here's the thing. Well, here's the thing. The dialogue's not good. It's not good. Um, they don't really know. To me, the most disappointing episode was when Elizabeth Shue came back in the third season because I was looking forward to it so much, and then I just felt like they gave her nothing to do, and she just kind of hung out with everybody and yeah, was like, I, remember this, remember that. I don't know what and happened, I was like, but oh, I got that's... hit with, like, an orgasmic wave of nostalgia when she showed up. And just seeing her, oh, yeah. I was like, oh, like, well, first of all, she looks incredible. You want to talk about like, she looks unbelievable. Yeah. She looks the it's, same. Yeah, she looks exactly the same. It's so good, though. I got to say, um, I just wanted to quickly chat about it because I didn't have a chance to talk to you about it. And I was like, it's funny because I remember, you know, the funny thing about Elizabeth, she was like, there's been a lot of talk about how Kelly McGillis was not invited to be back for the Top Gun uh, uh, sequel. And if you know what Kelly McGillis looks like now, it's right. kind of like, well, yeah. Um, you know, because it's like, you don't want to be mean, but it is kind yeah. of like Tom Cruise looks exactly the yeah. same and you have you have aged, which people do. But it is funny because I was thinking, I'm like, the only reason that episode works at all with Elizabeth Shue is because none of them have aged. So the whole nostalgia of it works because it's like, yeah, like when they say to each other, you haven't changed a bit, like they really haven't changed. Yeah, a bit. the chemistry of but them, I, like having dinner together was just, I don't know. It was just, I just, I just, I thought it was great. It was very nice. His wife's great. I just wish they had given her something to do because it felt like they brought her back to reminisce. And I would have loved to have seen her character have a purpose for being there. Yeah, but when you think about um, the original, like she was just a device to set up a fight between those yeah, guys. Yeah, I think you know? it probably, if I had to guess, I think it probably had more to do with, I bet Elizabeth, Elizabeth Shue really, I don't want to say she didn't want to go on the show, but, you know, I think she was kind of like holding back a little bit. And then when the show became so popular, but I bet it had something to do with the fact that they were like, okay, we've got her for one episode. 
you know, like she's back for one episode. I think if they had had her come back for like a whole season, I think there's things they could have done with her. But I think because she was only back for this one episode, this was what made the most sense. But I don't know you. I don't know why I was very moved. Like when her and Ralph Macchio kind of said like, hey, you know, stuff happens and I wish you the." It was very moving. Yeah, I don't, it was that. too. It was very, very weird. And I can't think of another... 80s movie that would have done that i don't know there's nothing else that i can think of that would have had that kind of impact it's really strange so what i'm hoping is that in 30 years you and i can reunite and i'll be like crease like in my 70s and i'll still look okay and you'll have like some and i'll be like you sent them you sent them to my house (laughs) that was a great let me tell you that moment where crease is like spoiler alert if any of you haven't watched it but the final episode when well first of all the season two is one of the best season finales i've ever seen the season two the fight at the school is probably one of the greatest episodes of television i think i've ever seen because it was just balls to the wall insane and and fantastic but the end of season three where you know he's him and johnny crease and johnny are going at it and then yeah, Daniel shows up. You sent them to my. I mean, <laughs> like talk, like talk about committed. You know, like like it's really not that serious. Like a bunch of teens trashed your house, but like, it, and now here you are at a strip mall, like in a strip mall dojo. But like he is committed. I man. Can't wait, man. He is going to kill him. Next season, it's going to be awesome. Oh, I can't. I hope that. T- give me twenty years. I swear, give me twenty years. I'll watch this until I'm dead. <laughs> I love it so. My, and let me tell you, like Johnny, he is the grilf I have always wanted. <laughs> like I, I can't even look at that. The dumber he is when he doesn't know how to use the laptop, oh, it, it's just oh, he's so fantastic. And what I like about him too, and Ralph Macchio talks about this, is that the easy route to, and this is, speaks to the writing, the easy thing to do with a character like that is make him like a MAGA guy. You know, it's make him ultra not PC, ultra conservative, all stuff. And they really don't do that. You know, he's insensitive and he's definitely like, you know, stuck in the past. But like he ultimately ends up being like the mentor for all the outcasts. And anytime he does say something that's like inappropriate, he gets called out on it. So like I think in that way, it's like, you know. Yeah, um, but it's it's kind of like if his character didn't evolve and have some kind of arc then the show would be pointless. You know, if he was the same drunken doofus that he is in the beginning, you know, and still he can still be offensive and he can still be bullying. So very quickly before we end. He's evolving at least, you know. So before we end, I have to tell you something funny. So watching Cobra Kai the first season, I felt, and this all ties back around, I almost stopped watching it because I was like, you know, I really don't feel comfortable watching this because I know that Ralph Macchio is like a Trump supporter. And I was like, er, er, er. And then I finally Googled it. And Ralph Macchio, literally, there is a story where Ralph Macchio is like, people keep thinking I'm a Trump supporter. And what they what they're thinking of is Scott Baio. He's like, I am not a Trump supporter. I don't support Trump. But apparently, like, it's this it's one of those weird man, not Mandela effect, but it's one of those things where like, a lot of people, for some reason, confuse Scott Baio with Ralph Macchio. <laughs> and so, like, Scott, like, Ralph Macchio was saying he gets all this oh hate mail from people being like, how could you support Donald Trump? And he's like, I've never supported Donald Trump. I don't know what you're talking yeah, like, and they're oh, And they're funny. thinking of Scott Baio. Isn't that I've funny? always been obsessed with how awful Scott Baio is, so I never made that mistake. But, uh, oh, Charles and Charles. Yeah, no, just how awful. Just Charles in charge. You know, he's threatening to move to Utah to primary... Jesus Christ. Well, thank you all for joining us here in every damn day. And if you would like to find out about what happened 
um, when Brett moved to Utah to challenge Mitt Romney. Like and subscribe uh, and tell your friend. Thank you.